Welcome, this is Coppercasts, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful and technical world of institutional investment into digital assets. We're your hosts, Simon Morgan and Frankie Ganidis. Today, we're speaking with Sean Fernando, the Chief Risk Officer and Head of Product Strategy at Deribit. Hi, Sean. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, just as a brief way of introduction, my name is Simon Morgan. I effectively run the Clearlit business here at Copper. Um, formerly worked in inequities for 20, 22, 23 years, something like that. Um, and thoroughly enjoying my time in crypto. I'm lucky to be joined with, uh, joined by Frankie Ganidis. Hello there. Um, also, 20 years in the, the industry. Um, I started um, back in 2003 in, in hedge funds. I moved to banks, JP Morgan, Bank of America, where I uh, stayed for, for 11 years or so. Um, then I moved to Apollo Global on the buy side again. And I held various roles in risk and structured financing trading. Uh, and we are here at Copa almost a year now. I'm heading the financial risk and asset optimization group. So I'm the one in the middle here, stuck by two risk guys. Sean, why don't you introduce yourself uh, and explain what you do at Deribit? Sure. So I'm uh, Sean Fernando, uh, Chief Risk Officer at Deribit, where I've been for three and a half years. Previously, I was a high-frequency trader, so I used to trade uh, index options at a firm called IMC Financial Markets, and that was on traditional uh, kind of products, so AEX, uh, FTSE, SMI, CAC, etc. So that that's my. I come from that high-frequency trading background. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. I mean, just to start the conversation, really, um, you know, Copper and Deribit have had a a long fruitful relationship which we're very very um glad about and and you know always grateful for you guys being i think you were the first clearly exchange to join the network back in 2020 2021 something like that um why don't you just explain uh, and the reasons why you see third-party custody as significant um maybe with a particular focus on Clearloop and and you know anything that you deem relevant yeah so well i think especially after the FTX crash. I mean, we, we had you as a service uh, well before that. And I think a lot of other exchanges only accelerated after the FTX event into kind of custody solutions, because then only they saw how important it was. We saw this from early on, and that's why we yeah uh, arranged this kind of, we, we saw the value in this uh, partnership. And that's just simple. I mean, a lot of institutions want this. They don't want to have as much of a counterparty risk to the exchange itself. Um, there's that kind of, and exchanges are built not for to be custodians. Uh, they're built, you know, for people to be able to trade. So in the traditional world, this kind of thing isn't even an issue because it's just all segregated and and. The, the risk to the client is obviously a lot less because of that. But uh, in the crypto world, everything to begin with is all together. The, the risk management and clearing setup, then you've got the custodian setup and the trading setup. And exchanges are there really, you know, as marketplaces for liquidity. They are, yeah, to match your buys and sellers, and that's their bread and butter. But in crypto, um, yeah, they had to, a lot of exchanges had to innovate a lot and uh yeah and also like uh, the everything we see 
for example, at at Derabit, we have a we work with Jumio for KYC. That's like we don't want to do like uh, there's no reason for us to create a solution for that that already exists. And you've got then all these other service providers, Chainalysis, Eventus, and Copper is is just part of a very important ecosystem for trading in crypto. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's a, you're 100% right. And one thing that I, I wanted to touch, I, I personally, what I like very much on Derabit that uh, I don't think any other exchanges got it so far is the fact that you guys are settling even the unrealized PNL. Um, and, you know, I think it's a, it's a feature that exists in traditional finance and the, the prime brokers. And it's a, it's a, it's a, great one for the crypto exchange because effectively you are resetting the risk uh, on a daily basis. Uh, you can take all of the, the realized and unrealized PNL out. And I wanted you to you know, talk a little bit more about that. Again, this is the, the, the only exchange that I have seen having it. How do you think about that, Sean? Yeah, I think we trust our liquidation model. And I think that and mm. this is real time and this allows us to do a lot more. Like in crypto, you're mat- like you're calculating risk real time. So we have this portfolio margin method. I think the first exchange to have this, and this like really set us apart from other crypto exchanges that tried to do options at the beginning. And you're calculating what is it, 33 points for every instrument using uh, Black Shoals uh, for the for the options and all these risk scenarios. And as you do that. You're saying, okay, within this range of 15%, which is not even a large range, actually, we are currently expanding that to 20%. Uh, it's not even a large range, but we can do this because we are liquidating real time and we're calculating this real time. There are some disadvantages to that. And one disadvantage is probably latency. Like the the traditional exchanges are dealing in nanoseconds. We are dealing in micros. Uh, very low milliseconds and micros. And I think even still, we are one of the fastest in crypto in terms of round trip times on latency. But uh, because of this, you can really be comfortable with the, the settling of realized PL, unrealized, allowing people to withdraw those funds after 8 UTC or even real time as they, well, real time to leverage any PLs that they make. Uh, and at 8 UTC, then they can actually withdraw that. Uh, and, and it's all because of that risk management framework and liquidation around it. And, you know, Sean, you touched on it, and I wanted to understand a little bit more on how you guys hedge when, you know, you see that certain portfolios are getting closer to potential liquidation. Do you, do you start hedging your delta? You, you And what do you do with your gamma? Like, I wanted to hear a little bit more on that. I think... Yeah, once upon a time, I think we had that discussion with Luke, but uh, you know, I would love to hear more. As they're getting closer to, let's say, liquidation, then, well, well, usually you want to have kind of, depending on your risk strategy, uh, you want to kind of go towards like a delta flat uh, mm-hmm. in terms of Greeks. So you want to bring your deltas towards zero or as you're getting worried. But the main thing is actually to look at the risk matrix itself. Where is the the pain in the risk matrix? Because sometimes you might see that you actually have, for example, a long delta, but because of some position in your wing that we deem very risky on the 
plus 15% that you actually might need to even buy more deltas to cover that risk. Um, so it's not just about looking at your Greeks. Uh, of course, generally, in 95% of the cases, it is just, uh, you know, bringing your Greeks closer to zero, um, reducing your vegas, deltas, gammas. Uh, but most of the time, it's really looking at that risk matrix, seeing which instrument is causing that. So it might be a volatility shock up on a plus 15% scenario. You, you might be shot some calls on that upside. Uh, and then you either might want to buy those calls or there might be the possibility to buy futures to cover that. But as you buy futures, then you're going to create more of a risk on the downside. So, um yeah, it's it's and and now our liquidation model actually we made an improvement to it, which is to liquidate options as well in a in a very safe kind of way. Um, so before we used to on portfolio margin accounts just try to get the account delta neutral, uh, but now we really look at that risk matrix. Where is the pain point uh, and try to trade out of those options. Uh, yeah, which which actually has gone pretty well um, during these big moves. That we've seen. Yeah, thanks for that, Sean. Um, I suppose just bringing the subject back to um, off exchange settlements, and you know, obviously we're we're biased here, and think Clilip is the is is the best product on the market. But if I take you back to, I, I think it was the end of last year, November or December, I forget, and around obviously that period of FTX, there was loads of turmoil on the market broadly. But I I believe Deribit had a, had an incident themselves, and actually. By being connected to Clearloop, you know, it sort of bought the exchange a lot of time in many ways because a lot of the clients who were using Clearloop in that, at that point to access Deribit were pretty relaxed knowing that their initial margin was sat off exchange in safe custody at Copper. And therefore, it sort of reduces the need for a run on an exchange. Um, so I was wondering if you could comment on, on that sort of topic and, and any other measures that you've taken uh, as an exchange to sort of demonstrate transparency, whether that's proof of reserves, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so what I think all the exchanges saw um, was immediately after FTX, a lot of um, withdrawals. So exchanges saw the the balances that were on those exchanges being withdrawn, which is very understandable. So all the risk people in those trading firms are pretty much like, hey, you've got this much on an exchange, FTX, an exchange that we trusted. Yeah, just didn't have our funds uh, that we deposited, and uh, so everyone's like, "Hey, we need to see what what is going on to to where the dust kind of settles." And I guess having a solution like Copper um, allows that not to be as um, hit the exchange as hard because people have that choice of, "Okay, we've got Copper, we can." And not only that, you've also got the other part of it, which is. You know, you've got your walled garden. Um, you can you can actually move funds very quickly. You're not you're not a part of the blockchain uh, congestion kind of thing. So there there is some a lot of benefits there as well during times. At, and actually, yesterday is a good example when when there was a bit of congestion uh, in the last few days. Actually, congestion on the networks. So yeah, there there is that. Um, but I yeah, the, the main thing obviously was was are my assets safe? Uh, and you can kind of see now this flight to quality after that whole FTX. Hey, we need to. As a user, you cannot just take it for granted that an exchange that has been there for a long time, 
and has a good reputation, you, you can't just take that at face value. You need kind of things like proof of reserves. You need to know that your funds are actually there. And uh, I think proof of reserves is a great thing. Uh, and, and it happened very quickly after FTX. All the exchanges started working on this uh, and started releasing um, their methodologies for it. So yeah, this this is just vital. Uh, stop. Yeah, it, it's kind of just improving the the quality of native crypto exchanges. You obviously see some market share going towards um, your traditional exchanges or your your like exchanges like Coinbase, let's say, not pure traditional, but yeah, very much um, much more institutionalized and and much more you know under kind of a lot more safeties and regulatory kind of practices. And then you can now see that all these crypto native exchanges are moving in that direction. And that direction is a custody kind of oriented world, proof of reserves, um, holding less assets themselves, but having more with these custodians, um, having things like market surveillance and third parties for that, because in the end you cannot fully even though an exchange might, like we have our own in-house market surveillance, uh, as an example, it's not something you, you want to have that third-party assurance, I think, as a user. And that's what copper is, third-party assurance as well. I, I hope we're at a stage within the industry now that that is just acknowledged and it is just a statement of fact. I still get a little frustrated when you keep going to these conferences and people say that there isn't sufficient infrastructure available for hedge funds and other institutions to play safely in this market. I just think that is factually not true at this point. You know, clearly it's large enough where you can mitigate as much exchange risk as you possibly need in terms of accessing liquidity, et cetera, et cetera. And there are other solutions out there too. Um, you know, this is still quite a nascent asset class. And there's clearly in my mind sufficient protections out there to enable you to, to you know, to, to feel that confidence you need to trade and, and everything else. Um, you know, like we often say, it's one thing to be bad at trading and lose your money. It's quite another to have it stolen by an exchange, which is obviously evidenced by FTX. And I think that that, that is, is becoming a moot point, I hope, anyway. Um, so that's all great. I mean, just while you touched on it, I, I heard you say something about traditional exchanges moving in. It was quite interesting to me that this week we saw the CME now have started to really make some traction in terms of market share. Do you view exchanges such as those a bigger threat to your business than you do some of the incumbent players within crypto? Actually not. I actually see that uh, CME will help drive making the pie bigger. Um, as people, um, as pe more and more get on CME, they realize, okay, they're missing a big part of the information on option flows. Um, let's say it's, it's on options that they are uh, gaining some traction. And those are firms that weren't trading on Deribit. Uh, they've joined CME. They, they probably trade other products on CME. And then the next step is like, hey, we're missing out on this flow. Where can we go? And that flow is 85% uh, plus on Deribit. So, and especially on open interest, you've got a high, uh, a lot, even larger share on open interest on Deribit. So then you kind of have to start to think, okay, if I want to trade options and not have as much slippage or not miss out on this information, I need to join Deribit. But okay, that, that's also, but then you get 
into the whole regulatory kind of uh, concerns as well. And that's actually, we, we can, we see this shift. I mean, we have, I think, pretty good self-regulatory practices, but it's all about third-party assurances. So we are also uh, applying for regulation for under VARA, uh, moving to Dubai. And I mean, my, my, me, myself, I'm actually moving uh, in a month to Dubai as well. Um, so we are kind of taking the steps to ensure this. Uh, we just... And also with security certifications, so we just had our, we just secured our ISO uh, 27001 to 27001 uh, security certification. Um, so yeah, the, these are we're working on our SOC two. We are kind of moving in that direction of more and more, you know, assurances for clients, so that if they are only willing to trade on your traditional exchanges, then it's they, they it's not such a big leap anymore to go to an exchange like Deribit. Look, I, I agree with you and I think that's a very grown up approach and, and that's what this industry needs more of in the sense that it's all about making the industry bigger and encouraging those new players to actually trade in crypto and and, and, and that's what's encouraging about the CME seeing so much volume. That just says speaks volumes to me that you've got proper institutions in the US and everywhere else actively getting involved and and you know what we've lacked over the last 12 to 18 months has been price appreciation in Bitcoin. And, and that is such a powerful force for, you know, FOMO is a real thing. Um, and I think the more of we see of that, the better for everybody involved, which is great. Yeah, I mean, saying on FOMO, I think that's really a, a retail kind of driven kind of uh, aspect. And, and we've never really seen crypto winter. Like all these exchanges talk about crypto winter or especially the native crypto exchanges. But we don't see that as much because we have like, an 80% institutional base uh, and they are not caring or they are not so concerned about, Hey, we only think Bitcoin is going to pump. They have strategies about hedging about Bitcoin uh, being bearish on Bitcoin, etc. It's, I mean, and, and options is a perfect play for uh, people who are on all sorts of levels, whether they think crypto is not going to move, whether they think it's going to go up to a certain range and sit within a certain range or really go down, you know, you've options play into that very well. Uh, so we, we haven't seen like a big drop in volumes like you might see on a lot of other exchanges that are retail driven and price driven. Do you see new money coming in, new funds coming in? We see it. We've seen it in waves, right? At the start, it was especially on the institutional side, the market makers that were the first movers into crypto. They were a lot more open to kind of crypto. Well, let's say even before the market makers, you've got the the crypto market makers. So you've got, you know, there were firms, yeah, a lot, a lot of these names that you would be familiar with. An example like. GSR, uh, but then you've also got the, the more like these uh, hedge funds slash, yeah, uh, crypto hedge funds kind of, you've got the, the firms like Genesis Galaxy, and then you've also got the firms like um, from your traditional market makers uh, who, are, who were also very, very early in crypto. And that kind of was the start of the wave. And now what we see is the traditional asset management firms, the traditional hedge funds coming in 
And I think, and we've seen some tier three banks. And I think the last step, obviously, is the um, the tier one banks. They are kind of the ones that are have been dabbling, experimenting. You've seen some news on, okay, they've traded some options OTC. And, and by the way, whenever I guess that happens, like um, whenever there is this uh, trading of options OTC, probably most of the times they that is hedged on Deribit. Um, but yeah, it's uh, but but that is the last kind of stage. And I think what the FTX situation did was set this um, set this back like this institutional adoption we everyone's talking about institutional adoption it's been happening for for a while now uh but then it has decelerated um after ftx and now we see it uh, accelerating again i think people have you know that trust takes a while to come back and i think people are seeing the moves that crypto exchanges are making with things like uh custodians and they are a lot more um yeah, uh, a lot less hesitant now, uh, but still, I think a lot needs to happen for the tier one banks to to get involved fully. Is you know all of these discussions around tokenization of real world assets? Um, do you think that the, this whole discussion is is helping for like the, the banks to um, to tap into the place and start trading crypto? Uh, related products with collateral being real-world assets tokenized? Yeah, the tokenization was a big, big uh, topic. Uh, Like I remember even three years ago, there was a lot of talk on STOs, on security tokens, but just on tokenizing the world. And I think that is, uh, and and obviously you've seen the the whole kind of NFTs uh, with tokenizing kind of art, etc. cetera, uh, but haven't seen so much yet in this field. And it is something that is good to keep an eye on because I think at some point it will kind of really arrive on the scene and, and that to be a big part of it. But I think regulation is, is uh, I mean, when the SEC is saying about, you know, whether they're not even sure if tokenized Pokemon cards are considered a security or not there's so much yeah there's no there's no real clarity in this kind of a field when it comes to uh how yeah the regulation uh, regulatory bodies think about it so uh that still needs to be solved yeah look i mean it's um sorry to cut you off short i mean it's it's very topical as you say and, and actually we're launching uh, a business in in abu dhabi um, pretty shortly, actually looking at tokenization of, of treasuries and, and other other assets. I mean, I, I'm firmly of the view, and I think this is becoming universal amongst any clients that operate in this in this asset class at the moment. That you, they all want to be holding a stable coin that yields something. I think at this point, at this stage of the game, it's a pretty hard sell to say to somebody you should be holding. And I'm not picking on Tether, but you know the fact that Tether doesn't give the customer anything back from their five percent. Um, yield that they're getting off their treasury holdings is quite hard to stomach. And I think there's going to be a huge move towards newer stable coins. And there are a few of them popping up. I mean, you know, we, I can publicly say we are doing something with PayPal and, and we're discussing with our clients about that. Um, and there are other other yielding type products out there, 
which we're having lots of discussions with and how, and we will be in collaboration with you guys, but how we can get those accepted onto exchanges as collateral. Um, and I think that that is an, another big unlock. Yeah, I, I think that is an important kind of piece to it. Uh, I mean, we, we see, we have our major products are settling in Bitcoin and ETH and what users can do very easily because of that is they can uh, put in that Bitcoin and then they would sell because they care about dollar PLs. They will then sell the long-term futures and you see that yield there. Um, whereas it's not, that's not something you can do with so easily with uh, USDC. Um, but, but I guess USDC have some other things that they are coming out with and, and allowing uh, for yielding. But yeah, yielding is, is a big one. Um, especially in this high interest rate environment. Exactly. Any thoughts around staking trades? So, you know, I think you know, under the, the clear loop um, structure, you know, it is possible to trade, to have a collateral um, being, for example, ETH, get the staking and at the same time use that as collateral to an exchange. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts around it. How do you think of having staked ETH potentially as a settlement currency in your exchange? Yeah, so one thing we are um, doing right now is working on cross-collateral to allow people, let's say the first step, which is to allow users to just use normal ETH to trade Bitcoin or USDC or so on. And, and we will have four currencies, uh, Bitcoin, ETH, USDC, and USDT to begin with. Um, but then staked ETH is an interesting one because this can also depeg at some moments from uh, the actual ETH price. Uh, there are some risk kind of considerations for that, but it is the more choice as a client, you know, to, to use whatever funds in, in, in a way is, is just, well, it, it just facilitates more trading. The, the only problem is risk. So, uh, Let's say there was once upon a time when you had Terra. If that was in, in some exchanges, uh, cross-collateral currencies, that could have ended up, well, and it probably, well, it ended up already very badly for, for a lot of people, but it could would end up even worse if somebody's using. So it's, it's really about also uh, vetting those currencies, really having trust. They need some sort of track record as well. Obviously, institutions like PayPal already have that track record to for that trust to exist but if somebody just comes up with a new currency yeah it just takes it will take some uh some time for that um but yeah i, I don't think we are close to having things like staked ETH at some point as collateral yeah i, I think that, that that's great to hear and you know we've been working on some sort of structured trades using techniques that we just described and i think it's you know it, it isn't quite as appealing in this interest rate environment, particularly if we look a few years out from now, when hopefully rates are a little bit lower, they, they might they might be very appealing for, for certain players within this ecosystem. So it's definitely something to, to work on going forward. The other thing I wanted to touch on, and it's very topical for us, and you may have seen an announcement that Copper made at the end of last week with, with Kamenu, where we are effectively launching uh, clearly as a multi-custodial product, which you know I think is obvious benefits for exchanges and clearly clients is giving those clients the choice that they can be multi-custody they can you know that there are certain custodians that have different 
uh, niches to others. And therefore, we're just giving those clients that choice that they don't have to custody with copper to access exchanges like Deribit via Clearloop. I was just wondering what your sort of thoughts on that were. And Yeah, so I haven't been too involved in this project. Uh, we have our custody um, team that has been really uh, behind this. Uh, so this is like, would copper become like a, a custodian of custodians effectively? Yes, yeah, you, you can you can see this way, absolutely. Ah, yeah, that is very powerful, obviously. I mean, for, for you guys, the real benefit for you guys is you don't have to integrate another five custodians. You, you, you will get access to the, the client base that they have. And, and frankly, from our perspective, one of the biggest things is the clients that we don't have today, um, who for various reasons might not want to custody with Copper, they might want to custody with somebody else. It still enables you guys at Deribit to still access that flow from a setup that you know, trust, you know it works, we've battle tested it, we've, you know, we, we've been through lots of different situations with each other. So, you know, we strongly believe that this really helps scale the industry to new heights again. Yeah, and it, I think having many choices for custody is important. Uh, like, this will actually be important for the following reason, it will drive a lot more innovation. Like, so there is a lot of this, I think, healthy, competitive, Atmosphere right now, I mean, you had uh, a big head start on it, uh, but you, we see a lot more custodians coming into the into the fray. And this, there will be this period of a lot more innovation, competitiveness, but in the end, I think things will start to settle between a few custodians and they will be, have the lion's share of that. Um, but but where that will be in that that's going to be the interesting thing in five years how that actually settles uh, how that 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 goes uh, I mean I'm very sure copper will be one of those uh, and who else you have to say that Sean <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, it's it's a bit like you know uh, a lot of things in also tech like in terms of different. Uh, Different solutions. There was what Blue Ray versus uh, DVD. You're like, showing your age yeah. now. Well, there you go. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you about VHS and Betamax if you want. Yeah. I'm really yeah. my age, but yeah, like, I, I think you know it, it is very important. Like from like from my background, like we both understand how important it is to have diversification and and to give options to the clients. That that's very that, that's what we need effectively to have more. Um, institutional adoption to have more players coming in, so we need to give client options, custody options, uh, trading options, liquidity options, and you know by democratizing, if you wish, Clearloop, you know we are effectively allowing uh, people that they want to diversify their custody portfolio to trade safely um, in the exchanges that we we provide, and I think it's you know uh, again. A, a very important aspect of uh, improving uh, and expanding the ecosystem. Yeah, and and I'm curious because on the traditional side, of course, you know, on CME you don't have to hold any um, any Bitcoin or so on. That's all like dollar dollarized. So you probably uh, or there, there's probably a lot more of these traditional exchanges thinking about having actual coins. Are you actually working? on any kind of projects with traditional exchanges on this kind of stuff? I mean, look, w w we would never say never. Um, we have had some initial discussions with with a few of them. Um, I think that is, you're, we're starting to get the complexities of regulations and everything else, which always makes this industry 
difficult to navigate. Um, but yes, in, in time, I, I would be hopeful that that is something that that perhaps we could we could go to. Um, I mean, ultimately, as we all keep saying, it's choice, isn't it? It's client choice. All we want to do is is give optionality for people to trade where they where they wish to. And and what do you see as like the next steps? The the main next steps for copper. You mentioned about uh, tokenization, uh, tokenizing treasuries, and so on. Is that like the biggest? I mean, and you've got your multi custody uh, setup. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So it, it's a two pronged um, attack, really. I mean, obviously, the expansion of Clearloop and making it a fundamental piece of market infrastructure for any institutional player, I think, is is top of our list, and we're really making progress on that. You will see some more announcements in in the coming coming days about multi custody and, and other things. Um, I think there's we're, we've got a big driver, as we already said, about about staking trades, about yielding stable coins, things of that nature, to really again help the industry move forward. Um, and then at the same time, yes, as I referred, we are launching this new business in in Abu Dhabi in, in November, where we'll be looking to tokenize real world assets. Um, not just for the crypto world, but also for the traditional financial world, and and working on some repo type structures um, to you know to to demonstrate what blockchain can do, and and a lot of it is is pivoting copper in that business uh, away from crypto per se, but to more of a blockchain infrastructure company, um, which can demonstrate that blockchain ultimately should make financial services better, mm-hmm. faster, cheaper, et cetera, et cetera. So it's sort of a, a two pronged. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this is something I, I fully believe in blockchain in, in terms of, I mean, for example, the whole settlement process is, is well, in my opinion, a bit inefficient in the traditional world. Uh, post trade is, yeah, has a lot to gain from blockchain. I think we, we all know how, you know, the traditional space, you've got um, trapped collateral because of the of the settlement taking a couple of days and people need to collateralize on that and that is costing a huge amount of, of money uh, to the banks and other institutions. So I think, you know, in my mind, I would love to see at some point, you know, frequent settlement on, on blockchain and as a matter of having both uh, real-world assets tokenized and crypto assets um, um, cross-collateralized and... Um, you know, at some point, I would love when you guys to take um, U.S. Treasury tokenize U.S. Treasury as, as collateral. Uh, I think that that's going to be great having in one's portfolio both uh, crypto and real world assets. But but you guys, as risk people, you can attest to this. You know, Clearloop in itself today, with all our exchange partners of which you guys are a fundamental part, can is is a battle tested real world. Sort of lab experiment, if you like, and I'm, I'm not in any way diminishing crypto, but crypto is still nascent. But we can show that you can, you know, we've got significant volumes going through clearly on a daily basis now, and we're settling down risk every four hours. You know, that, that is just totally unique to the real world. Um, and, and that is something that the crypto industry should be proud of and should be demonstrating that actually, you know, this is what blockchain is all about. It's about making things more efficient and ultimately cheaper. And, and you know, I think we should be making more of that. And it goes even a step further, Simon. I think, you know, you can see all of that happening real time. You can see it on chain, um, you know, there, there is transparency that is non-existent in the traditional space. You can see everything real time happening in front of your eyes. It's, it's um, fascinating to be honest. 
is just solving a client need and problem. And when you have some a product that does that, you know, it's it's going to take off as you guys have seen that what you I don't know how you came up with the idea, hey, we need this. We can uh, it's probably you see a lot of a lot of these issues where people are like, "Hey, we we want to put less risk on exchanges." And in some cases not even a just about trust, it's just about, you know, just spreading your risk. Um and yeah, it's to to have this product, I think it's it's a great piece. It's just an integral integral piece of the ecosystem. It's like, um, and it will become more and more important. I, I mean, we can already see that happening. Well, good. Um, before we wrap up, Sean, why don't you tell us about what uh, Deribit has got in the pipeline and what you're working on for for this year and next? Yeah. So the main the main two, well, we've got a a few things, but the main stuff are uh, cross collateral. So being able to trade multiple currencies and not only that to even offset risk between currencies part of the risk so for example uh long bitcoin versus short eth kind of risk but of course they're not 100 correlated and it's not on a correlation basis but um there is there is kind of some part some value in offsetting that uh for clients to a certain degree um so everything would become like in one pool, Bitcoin, Ethereum, USDC products in one pool. And we can look at that risk like holistically for the client to give them a better um, efficiency on their capital. Uh, then the, the other thing is uh, linear option. Well, when we say linear options, it means just options that are settling in USDC. So right now the options are settling in Bitcoin and in ETH. We've got... We're planning to launch um, Solana, XRP, Matic, um, all uh, settling in USDC. So payoffs are just kind of as you expect from your normal traditional options. Um, and that is going to be coming in, we expect, starting from January. Uh, both of these kind of uh, – both of these will will hopefully be launched. Um so yeah, that that we're putting a lot of emphasis on that, uh, and then we've got some other kind of projects like on mass coding and on latency reductions. Even though we we have a very good track record for latencies, we, it's something we just always believe exchanges should be very low latency, and it's to constantly improve there. You can never you can never finish there effectively. At some point you know we'll be in picoseconds hopefully <laughs> so um but yeah the the cross collateral and and uh more choice in options i think those are the, the main. well sean thanks very much i look forward to seeing you in dubai later this year and um yeah thanks for joining us likewise thank you thanks man as always we appreciate you tuning into Coppercasts. follow us on twitter for regular updates using the handle at copper hq and if you want to get in touch or appear as a guest on the next Coppercast. Email us at marketing at copper.co.